welcome back to Podcast Hangs. And damn, this feels good to be back. Yeah, man. Talking into this microphone. This is your host, uh, Jesse Johnson, and I'm not in Studio J today. I'm actually in, I guess, uh, Studio Mog, Studio BC, whatever you yeah, want to call it. We call it the Underground Studio, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, today, my guest, uh, I don't know what how I can introduce this this guest that I have today. He's a musician. He's a podcaster. He's a writer. He's a dad. He's an all all around good guy. Glad to have him on the show. I appreciate that, man. And uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop listing all the good things about him and get get to hear him talking. Mr. Brad Cox, welcome to Podcast Things, man. I appreciate being on the show, Jesse. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. And I like. I'm glad that we made this work because I was on the Mog, the Mouth you were. Graffiti. I was on your podcast, and I'm glad that we can make it work after you know, months of rescheduling and you know everything back and forth, back yeah. and forth. And I'm and glad, you made the I'm trip glad that we too. can make it work. You made the trip That's, on a dark, stormy night. You did make the, the trip. trip on a dark, stormy night, and there was UFOs out there. We talked about that pre-podcast. We did. Yeah. You took a picture of it too. So you I could, did. I feel you like might, an idiot. You might need to send that to the NASA or NASA <laughs> right. or something. You need you. You might be onto something. Yeah. Well, it just turns out it was baseball lights, like the big, <laughs> the big lights above a baseball diamond. So, oh well. So I want to get into anything and everything uh, right away. I want to talk about uh, a recent announcement that one of your, I guess, older projects, newer projects, one of your projects. Uh, just announced that they're going to be doing a reunion show of sorts. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's let's get into that. So the project is Schizo Calypso. It is. Right? Um, tell me about the show and what kind of sp- like sparked that idea to bring Schizo back. It really wasn't sparked. Sparked wouldn't be the right word. Nick's been bothering me. For- it was it was like planted in your head and poked that, at many yes, times. Yes, it was poked at many times, watered many times. Nick's been asking me to do a show at Zen West, maybe not for the entire eight years, but definitely a show with him over right. the course of eight years. And eight it, years. it just never worked out. It was nothing personal, and I don't think that he got that, but it was just one of those things where it was like our schedules never lined up. And so anyway... Um, people started coming out of the woodwork and I think it was Christopher Mooneyham originally. He's like, Hey man, what are you doing April 15th? And I'm like, I don't know. It's September. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to think that far ahead. So I, I kind of was like, I'm on vacation. I will get back to you. I, not that I wasn't like, you know, uh, interested. I just, I, I had no idea what was going on. Right. And then Nick reached out to me about 30 times, no less than 30 times. And he's like, dude. Are you going to do it? Who do I have to reach out to? Do I have to reach out to Joe? Do I have to reach out to Pat? Because uh, it was really no formed band. Right. So finally, I talked to Gary and Brian. Now, me, Gary, and Brian are kind of the the nucleus of what is Schizo Calypso. And it's right. been around since, well, at least the three of us since 2001. It's been a lot, around a lot longer than that. Okay. But um, once they were on board, it was like, okay. So we called Pat. Now, Pat was on the last record. And then we're like, well, we should you know, see if we can find a bass player. And it just made sense to ask Joe because he's in Phantasm with Pat and they could kind of practice together. We could right. kind of practice together because we're kind of all like separated with some distance. So that's how it all came about. And then we launched it. But well, you said Schizo, Schizo was around since 2001, later than that. So like, was that technically your first like 
big project? Well, it's been around since 96. 96. Yeah, okay. I started writing songs. I ran away to Hollywood. Like the whole like cliche story, I'm going to become famous, that whole thing. Wrote a bunch of songs out there, came back, started recording the songs, and then the first album came out in 1998. Okay. So you went to Hollywood in 96, or was that before 96? Because I, I, don't, I don't remember us getting into this on the MOG, and I want to hear about the Hollywood days. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wild, man. Actually, I just got, uh, I found an article. I was in the LA times in 1996. I got fired from tower records. A group of us, we were trying to unionize tower records because back then, back in the nineties, like, even though it was our employer, like big music, big, like big music in general, like popular music was kind of the enemy. So it was kind of like, we were just standing for something at the time it was salary caps. You know, there was people that had been working there for 10, 15 years. We're still making six fifty an hour. And, you know, I was like a young kid. I was like 18 years old. I'm like, yeah, right. man, that's not right. So <laughs> I, I'm standing out front of my, my own employer holding up signs, not realizing really the implications of right. it. You're, you're just kind of in the moment like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah, this is awful. Um, ended up getting fired. But that, that article, you can look it up. If you look up Brad Cox. Tower Records Union, the article from 1996 in the LA Times is is out there. Okay, but anyway, um, so anyway, went out there. I, I uh, had a band called Ananda. Uh, once I got fired from the Tower Records, see, back in those days, like it started kind of like. Um, it, the, the Sunset Strip was like a progression. Like you would start at like the Troubadour, then you would go up to the, the Whiskey. The Viper was right across the street. You had the Roxy. And at the time, there was a place called the Key Club. So, or maybe it was even Billboard at the time. But the goal was to get like to the end of the strip. And then you were like, right. you're on your way at that point. And as soon as I got fired from Tower, uh, the girl I was in a band with, uh, she was just like, nah, it's not going to work out. Because she felt like I had soiled the opportunity to do that. Okay. So I ended up taking all the songs, came home after I ran out of money, and that was that's kind of how this all happened. That's how where Schizo Eclipso came from. Okay. And then so Schizo was around um, for how long before you before that kind of turned into your next project? What Which, do you mean? So you so you were in Schizo from '96 to um, to when? Well, I mean, or like when, like when would you say that Schizo, I guess, took its first break? Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Because at that point, um, Underground was being recorded. I started recording Underground in two thousand nine. Okay. And over the course of, um, it was in twenty thirteen that band started forming and going out, right. and Schizo was kind of starting to fall apart at that okay. point. So. Um, and yeah. that was that was when I had met you was in the underground, I guess, yeah. when it was first getting started or I guess when you were first playing out a little more. Yeah. Was when when I first was introduced to you and, you know, your music. And I have to say, like underground, like seeing you guys again, like like I said on the mob, like the first time I saw you guys, you had this piano and you had like these like everything about you guys. I was just like, holy shit. Like that's, oh, that's it was awesome. just it was so cool. And then, um, so you had Schizo, you had Underground, um, you do your own solo stuff on top of that too, right? How long has that been, you know, a, a thing for you? That's kind of the thing. Like all the projects start as solo projects. Okay. And then I, when there's <laughs> enough of a catalog, it kind of attracts like Other band people. members, you know? Um, but after that, uh, there was, we love the Underground and that was like 
like two and a third albums were recorded. And then I met Eric and Pat came into the fold. And then we got Gary from Schizo and Joe. And then as that kind of fell apart in 2017, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Um, so I started working on um, what would end up being Veteran Avenue. So tell me about Veteran Avenue, because it seems like to me, like what you had just said, like everything kind of starts as a solo project, like yeah. based around you. And then you attract people. And Veteran Avenue to me sounds like you've attracted like a lot of all stars in the scene to come and collaborate with you, essentially, is what it, it what, is what it looks like to me. Yeah, and you're going to be on one of those tracks at some point. So basically Ooh. what it was was the original idea was what I wanted to do was because over all this time, I've played with a lot of people. Right. So I wanted to compile all these band members from Schizo and We Love the Underground and it, After Midnight's and some of these other projects in one spot. And But then it was also like, well, there's people I want to play with that I've just never had the opportunity right. to play with. And that's how Veteran Avenue kind of formed. So basically what it would be is I would come up with a, a song or an idea and then I'd start forming like mini bands around those songs. And so it's like a different band with each kind of yeah. song almost. Okay. Yeah. And you have, I think you had just finished as we, as we're recording this right now, you had just finished the, I guess the full length or one of the full lengths of Veteran Avenue. Yeah, it's it's gonna be uh, released. It was supposed to be released actually today. Well, yesterday, two 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 two, whatever that was, all February second. Yeah, it was supposed to be released, but um, we just didn't get all the tracks done and mastered. So, uh, I've pushed it. I don't know if you saw the promo to three 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 two two. So it's just easy to remember, you know. Three, yeah, three. Th I mean, two 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 two. That's that's cool, but three three. I feel like you probably. You know, three three two two. Like it's a little bit of a tongue. Well, not like a tongue twister, but like it's fun to say. Yeah. Three three two two. Well, it, it was uh, it was eleven eleven twelve twelve one one. Oh, so then, you've you've been planning this for months. Yeah. So well, so there, there was an EP that was released uh, right. eleven 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 or twelve twelve one one, and then it was supposed to be out, but then we decided. Or we, I decided to add two more tracks because I felt like if they had all the songs on the EPs, why buy the album? Right. So I want to give them a couple extra songs and then remaster it as a whole the way it was supposed to be put out. And I, th I, if I was following correctly, I think the way that you put the tracks out was very interesting. I think it, the last time that I, I was here and you, we did the Mog, I think was when you were recording the Sex Pistols cover, yeah, which I think was a very, very interesting and very well done rendition of that song it was very different from the the og version yes, that is. i'm familiar with but there was one song i believe you put out um it was with robin from yeah uh the breakers yeah the breakers um i don't how did you go about putting that out because i believe it was only available for a short time wasn't it that was yeah that was kind of the thing i put it out for like we went on vacation to connecticut where the breakers are okay the whole song is about where i'm telling lisa to basically put my ashes when i die okay which is a big cliff walk in um newport uh and it's called the breakers okay so the whole idea was we would release it when we went up there we could take pictures around it and promote it but at the time i didn't want to put like all the tracks out there so i put it out for like two days and then pulled it back pulled it Okay. And then when the EP came out, it was now available again. Okay. And I think that was 1212. So, so it's not like uh, Danny DeVito and It's Always Sunny where you tell Lisa, just throw me in the trash. Right. Like, just throw me in the trash when I die. It's more like, take me to this spot and let me let me have my peace. Yeah. You know? I, and I don't know why that spot. I feel like it's 
I guess at a point it would have been Malibu or California, like take me back to California. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? I have really fond memories of Cliff Walk in Newport and going up there with her. So it's like, you know, this would be a nice place to be tossed. Do you ever see that scene in the Big Lebowski? Oh, yeah, where they're standing on the mountain and um, <laughs> yes. John Goodman's spreading his ashes and Jeff, Gold, uh, not Jeff Goldblum, uh, Jeff, Bridges. Jeff Bridges is standing behind him and yeah. he just gets caked in the ashes. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. Like, yeah. like that's that's what you would envision that being as like something like that yeah, where know. she's like, "Good night, my sweet prince," and she just scatters the ashes. Well, it's also somewhat of a touristy place. People run okay. like this long uh, trail called the. Well, it's not the trail is not called the, the Breakers. It's called Cliff Walk. But there are tourists kind of lurking around. I could see her doing it, and like you know, somebody running by, having a nice day. Like Jesus Christ, there's t- bits of bread in me. <laughs> They, they yeah, every, that, everybody but. gets, you know, a little bit of Brad, like even <laughs> like, Brad like up. when they're running, they get a little bit of Brad when they're like just catching their breath, they get a little bit of Brad. Like that's the best part is everybody gets a little bit of Brad. Uh, I suppose. Yes. But, Did you ever um, hear about uh, Keith Richards smoking his father? Mm, I might have, but I, I would not be surprised that that's a thing. <laughs> it, it, I would it is not be thing. surprised. He, uh, he put his father in, I guess his cigarette and smoked him. I don't, I honestly do not put that past him to do that. Because, is that in his uh, autobiography? Has he said, or has he said that in like an interview? He said it in interviews. I don't know if it was actually that he smoked him. I think it it is that he smoked him or if he did a line of him. I don't, it's one or the other. I would either way, like I'm not surprised that that is a Keith Richards kind of move. It may be why he's doing so well. Maybe there's like something to that. He like his father essentially gave him a second life. Like right. I don't I don't know if I should do that with my dad, but I mean, I think I, if I just like go to the gym, maybe eat a little healthier, I think I might feel as good as Keith Richards one day. I don't know. One day. One, one day. day. I've noticed one of the weird things as you get older, it becomes very difficult to turn off that reflex for like wanting things. Like so I can't control my eating anymore. Like I used to be able to, I'm going to do a tuna diet for three days. I'm just going to eat tuna fish and crackers. That's what I'm going to do. And it would work. That's dedication too. Like that's like, that sounds like I can't, I don't eat a lot of tuna already, but eating tuna for three days, like that's, that's dedication. You want to crash diet. You want to like get up on stage and like be like drained of all your water weight and whatever you lose in that, that period of time. But now, like, I can barely get to lunchtime. And then lunchtime is, like, an event now. Like, I have, like, I have to have sandwiches, and I have to have chips with my sandwiches, and then I have to have something sweet. It's like going back to, like, elementary school. Yeah. Like, I need my, my, my M&Ms, my bag of chips, and my sub. I, 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 I can't stop doing that. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't have a, a stage to get on. I don't know. I mean, I like, I feel that way where I have to, like, I have something like, I don't know if this is with anyone else, but I like when I, I made a piece of pizza the other day, I ate up a piece of pizza and I couldn't eat the pizza without having something on the side. Mm. So like, I just poured some potato chips onto the plate and I was, I was eating pizza and potato chips. Like I, like that's always been a thing for me is like, I almost always have to have something on the side like okay. to take away from like what I consider the main course. Gotcha. Like, I don't, I don't think that's any way related to what you're talking about, but I, think it's, I, I don't know if anybody else relates to that, but like, that's something that for me personally, I've always felt the need to do. Yeah. It's like complex fooding. Like, you, have you seen the Reese's peanut butter cups that now have potato chips inside of them? No. Well, that's a thing. 
Really? People are like, they're bored of just like a simple Reese's peanut butter cup. They have to stuff ruffles in them. Well, it's like they have, they put Reese's pieces inside the they, Reese's cups. Now it's, that's like Reese's inception. Almost, yeah. But like. It's like those teas with those little like jelly balls in them. The yeah. Balls. The boba tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've, I've never had that, but I've seen videos of people like, you know, forcefully, like it's really aggressive too. When you see the videos of people drinking that, like they force the straw through it yeah, and then they drink it and then they just like spit it back out because like they get like, I guess some of the boba. In their is, that, like, is that what it's called, boba? I think that's what it's called. I thought called. they were like goji berries or something. They, I mean, I've never had it, so yeah. like I can't really say what it like what they taste like. But like they look to me like they're like little like pockets of like fro- like something's in them. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like yogurt or it could be yogurt. It could be like a berry. Like I'm not sure. I might have to go. But they get stuck in the straw, and they yeah, they get stuck in the straw, straw. But it's still it's not fat enough. But it's like one of those things where like it's like a spit, but like. Like it's like you can <laughs> if you get it stuck in the straw, you, <laughs> yeah. You could, it could be it could be lethal, like it, depending it, on who it you could give be. it to. Yeah, but I don't know. Like I've never had it, but it's it's intrigued me enough to where I have to find a shop to try it. Like I really, really want to try it, and it's almost like there's so much, like. Yeah, I become like a like not peer pressured, but like there's somebody who's always talking about like this certain food trend, and I get in like intrigued. I'm like. Hmm, maybe like maybe I should go find like hunt a spot out and try yeah. that. You know, like have you like have you like done any of that recently where you've seen something and you're like, all right, you know what? Let me go try this. Let me let me see if the hype is real. Yeah, there's a place called N Pizza in town. And for one, the name alone is weird. But I was like, <laughs> I, I gotta check this place out. Like it's a, it's another pizza shop, but it's like next level pizza. So yeah, I, I will hunt things out that are new. You know, if it's if it's new and it's hyped, I'm like right, it's got to live up to it though. If it doesn't live up to it, then. But it's like I'm, my mom brought home one day. Um, Lay's is making these like puff, like they're like little puffy chips. They look like like a it's a circular chip, but like there's a line in the middle. It kind of looks like the Under Oath, uh, lo- like it looks like the Under Oath logo, like but a in a chip. Well, it's like it's like a circle with a line through it. Oh, so it's like oh, it's yeah. like one of those it's like one of those things. Oh. I I don't I think it's under oath. I could be mixing up my bands here. I don't know. But um it lo- it looked like it was like a circle with like a line through it and I tasted it and it didn't taste like a normal chip. It tasted like like a Cheeto almost like oh. but with like cheddar it's like um sauce or cheddar spray or whatever whatever they put on the uh. chips. It was very interesting. Yeah. But food these days is, you know, like I remember the chicken and waffle. Yeah, chip. the chicken and waffle that chip. came out a couple years ago, and that was like the most exciting thing that we had done at that point. I remember the, uh, I think it was the loaded mac and cheese chips too. Oh. I think they came out in that same line. Yeah. They were, it was good times because I, I got a lot of people up to those, and then a lot of people hated me because I ate them. They were like, I was like, they were, <laughs> they're just so good. Like I, like I can't stop eating them. Well, sorry, but I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. But um, you mentioned another project, you know, to get back on the music part of it. You mentioned that there was another project, I think, in between uh, Schizo and Underground on top of your solo stuff. Um, because I was looking at your Facebook and I saw that you had a lot of links to different projects in so, your bio. Yeah, there's there's Nikki Thunders. There's Nikki Thunders. And that's... Um 
There's an Which album. is a great name, by the way. Thank I you. love that name. Thank you. Um, there was Nobody Likes Neville. That was a project. That was, I have that album, too. You do? I do. Okay, that's awesome. So that was Eric's project. And I, for that, I was basically called in to write like lyrics and melody lines. Um, the music was there. It was just like they needed a singer at that point. And I think uh, "Killer on the Run" is yes. on that album. Yeah, that's I like that's the like one of the one songs that like I like. I have that CD somewhere at home, but I think it's only two. Like I have two songs in my library. I'm Eric to listen to this episode, and um, that like that song is like one of the only two. But I want to I want to get to yeah yeah run. yeah, and I want to get yeah. into like. A little bit of your songwriting and stuff later in the episode, sure. but what? So you had Nikki Thunders, you had uh, Nobody Likes Neville. What were the other projects um, that you had? Well, there was the After Midnight's. That After was, Midnight's. That was with Joe Ruggiero and I. Um, he would write a song, I would write a song, and we got about four songs deep, and then the whole thing fell off a cliff. Um, I'm trying to think, there was like like one off things. Uh, Christopher Mooneyham did a, a project called Story Hour where he brought in some different singers. I did one of those songs, but mainly it's, it's mainly been schizo. We love the underground and veteran Avenue and there's other things, but yeah, those are the main ones. You're a busy guy. I think is the takeaway here is you're just a, you're very active in, I get depressed when I'm not busy, like really depressed, but that's, that's what music is for. That's what, you know, the art is for is when, you know, you get into those moments and you just create, yeah. you know, whatever it may be, whatever project it may be for, you just create. That's right. And it seems like that, like that happened, that has happened a lot Yeah. for you. Yeah. It's been busy, man. I mean, Veteran Avenue, that, that took, started in 2017, 2018, and it takes a long time. People don't realize it takes a long time to record 17 songs. Oh yeah. Um, it maybe didn't need to take as long as it did, but money, getting everybody organized and on the same page to do it. And, and I'm looking to take that out soon. But in the meantime, while I couldn't do that, that's why the podcast formed. Cause I was like, I was just going crazy. Like I, I, I'm at peace when I'm extremely like overloaded. I'm not at peace when I'm sitting like in a chair playing chess with my dog. I, in a fantasy world, that brings me peace. Right. But it really Reality. brings me anxiety. Yeah. Because I feel like I, I'm supposed to be doing something. Yeah. I should be working out. I should be doing a podcast. I yeah. should be playing the guitar. Yeah. I should be taking a shower, going to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Like you feel like you need to, you know, fill up your day yes. when in a lot of times you don't need that. Yeah. I'm, I've definitely felt that before too, where it's like, you know, you feel like you need to do something, but then you start doing something that relaxes you. Like maybe, you know, when I like, when I come home from a run that joint operation does, for mm. example, like I will take the next day. Like, I feel like I should be doing something. Like, I feel like if I'm on that rush where we just came home from three days, like three days of being on the road, sure. kick ass shows. Like, I feel like I should be doing something else. But what I like to do is I like to, you know, just decompress before I get back into that. So I'll just take some time and maybe sit on the couch, watch a movie or two. Ozark. You know, Ozark, <laughs> which we'll get into later yeah. too. Um, but I guess it's just different for every, like everybody's brain is wired differently, which is great. And it's, it's an interesting conflict to have too, because you don't want to overload yourself and, you know, live with those kinds of consequences for a little while, but you also don't want to feel like, you know, you're doing nothing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's just that conflict. But onto the Mog. So 
that kind of, so would you say that kind of started out of a necessity to, you know, like to keep your, your brain functioning, to kind of keep that creative juice flowing? Like, what would you say? Like, that was spark. the fuel for sure. That was the fuel. Okay. The, the spark was at the time I was going to put out the veteran Avenue album uh, a long time ago. It wasn't going to be 17 songs. It was going to be like 10 songs or something like that. And I started going on to every radio show, podcast, everything I could find, um, doing as many like interviews and promo types of things for it. And uh, at one of those uh, podcasts, the guy was like, hey, man, have you ever thought about co-hosting? I'd love to have you down when we have musical artists on. Right. And I'm like... Yeah, man, sure. Just that, that sounds great. And I, I think I told you that story where it was like, he said, he's like, well, if you want to do a podcast, I'll help you. Yeah. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing a podcast. And uh, I came home and Lisa's like, you should do a podcast. And she kind of was like, you're, you're doing a podcast. There wasn't really any ambiguity after I kind of kicked back a little bit. So I, I booked the first one and I was like, this isn't so bad. You know, it wasn't too hard. And and then it just, as soon as I decided I'm doing this, hell broke loose. Like I was booked until the new year and this was back in June and, um, had like, I had like seven sponsors in the first month. Like it was like, this is, this is legit. Now yeah. I had to produce. Yeah. So now it was creating that stress that I need. So, uh, definitely part of the fuel, but you know, I created enough stress around it. Like there is no time to take a break. You've got this person coming on Saturday and this person coming in on Sunday. And, right. and this person's paying this amount of money for you to do this many episodes. So it was like, ah, I love it. Because <laughs> so. you, because when you, when we were talking back and forth and you had sent me a picture of your spreadsheet, um, I guess that, which is what you're, you're going by in terms of a yeah. schedule. I was like, damn, this man really is busy. So when you tell me that you have to constantly be doing something like now I see yeah. that that's legit. Like you, like you have everything planned out. So you have time to sleep, you wake up and you're right, you're right back at it. Yeah. You know, like this, like the kind of sleep when you like not sleep when you die, but like, you know, sleep because you have to, and right. then you're, you're back at it. Like, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's something to look forward to. Well, coffee is something to look forward to. And that's what gets me out of bed. Like, that's, that is true. It's like, I, I, I'll lay there if I wake up at like seven, whatever. And I'll be like, you could go get coffee. I'm like, all right, let's go, Brad. All right, yeah. All right. Let's go get coffee. Yeah, that's good. Cause we were talking a little bit, I think on the way out of when I came here to do the mog, uh, we were talking about coffee and I was talking to you about iced coffee that Ooh. I will honestly drink. Like it's, it's just, it could be as cold as it is now outside, which honestly, like right now it's not bad. It's mild. Yeah. It's mild. But I mean, if it's like 10 degrees, like I'll still go get iced coffee. Like it, like it's, it doesn't affect me as much as like people seems to think like it's bad for you in cold weather, but like. I mean, you're already cold, so it's like, what's what like what's the matter with putting something cold in you? Already? I would think almost drinking the cold would actually make your skin feel warmer because you're making your inside. Yeah, because you're you're technically warming yourself up, like that self insulation. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I drink that like when I was working uh, at the public the school newspaper at Anne Arundel. I would go every morning, like every morning, I bring. Probably like something this big, like the size of a smart water bottle in filled with black coffee and just chug it. I mean, yeah. just black coffee by itself because, I mean, a few, like it helps you like kind of move like stuff through your body That's more, true. but it's yeah. also like it kind of wakes you up and it also 
doesn't necessarily dehydrate you, but it also kind of suppresses your hunger until it, you like it does noon or so when you're ready to eat and then you can actually enjoy your food. Right. Which is what I like. What I found is like a good system for me. I found the black coffee because it's tart. It made quitting smoking. That became my new vice. So every good time coffee. I wanted like a cigarette, I would have a cup of coffee and it was, it always oh. had to be black because it was, it was just enough tartness to kind of take, I, I take that craving away. I it guess. did. Yeah. So, but I, like, I uh, don't get me wrong. Like cream and sugar, I will fuck up a coffee with cream <laughs> and sugar in it. Like, but I like some people will like go very, very overboard with their coffee. Right. And they'll throw like maybe like half a thing of cream in it and like three or four or maybe even five sugars. And I'm yeah, like, oh, not- like, I, like when I first started drinking coffee, my dad kind of looked at me. He was like, the hell are you doing? Because I used Squirt to be, I used to be like that. that. Yeah, and I was like, it like over the years, the more I drank it, I was like, oh, this is really sweet. Like I kind of like ruining that for me. So it's, now it's like, I'll have one cream, maybe one sugar, yeah. maybe two on a good day. But I mean, if anyone's listening to this and hears this, like, you can get me coffee now because you know what my order is. Yeah. But um, coffee, coffee is great, and it definitely does get you up in the morning. And when I sent you a message about doing this podcast and like kind of like topics and stuff. One of them was caffeine. And you had told me a story, well, not a story, but oh, you God. had mentioned something to me that you had, um, that you had written a song about caffeine. I did. And there was a, a moment where you had an incident involving, I guess, caffeine pills. Yeah. Yeah. Nodos and Joel Coles. Nodos. That's what it was. Joel Coles and Nodos in high school. I just about killed myself, but, um, I ended, yeah, there's a, a song on the infamous Alien Fetus cassette that people have talked about. Like, I don't, I don't let them out of my sight. I know where they're at. It's, it's not good, but it's, it, what, whatever. There's a song called Caffeine. Yeah, and okay. It's out there, and it's, it's about that. I'd never heard of Nodos before. You, you told me what it was. It might I be an like, '80s thing. Maybe it, maybe it might be an eight. Like, I might be way too, you know, young for. There's a lot right. that I'm too young for, but. I'm glad that you're here, first yes, of all. Yes. And now we know that caffeine can be a bitch sometimes. Now we now we know. Well, I I think you knew I just didn't that understand. Already. I was a kid and it was like, this feels good. This feels better. Yeah. And then it was like, I'm having uh, every single like my arms and legs went completely numb. I fell down on the bathroom floor. My dad came in and got me. It was it was a whole thing. It was know? a mess. It was yeah. a mess. And he's like, What did you do? It was like, you know, like Tommy Boy or something. Like, what'd you do? <laughs> of course, he w- it, it wasn't funny at the time, but I was, I was like, well, I, I took those and I drank a Joel Cola, maybe two, maybe five. I don't know. And, you know, it So passed. were you doing it to just like stay awake or were you do- like, you know, what was like? Because <sighs> I, I have a very excessive personality. And if I, if I find something that I like, I tend to like take it as far as I can take it. So I drink and drank a lot. I've been, I'm 19 months on the wagon. But it wasn't like I couldn't have a beer. I had to have like 20 and be sleeping in the bathtub. To me, that was drinking. That was having a good time. So um, that's a whole other bag of worms. But yeah. 19 months. That's that's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yep. And I think that yeah, I've I've especially with COVID, I've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of hop on that wagon of, you know, like cutting <laughs> something like whether it's a vice or like a, a habit or something just cutting it and a lot of people have stayed with it so it's like even in 
a time with, you know, like where you're, you're kind of stuck in the house, you know, kind of left with yourself. Like it's very, I can see where it's very easy to fall back into that habit, but for somebody to go, you know, a year, two years of, you know, letting it go and then keeping it that way is it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it just shows that, you know, that like resilience is, you know, a real thing. And it, it kind of, it kind of gives people like a new sense of like accountability too, because you're like, you're kind of holding yourself accountable. And if those people out there that are supporting you see that, then they're going to hold you to the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And your friends after the first two or three months, once they know you're serious, yeah. they stop getting on your case because they should get on your case because it could just be like, Oh, he's, he's going to be drinking a week from now. Yeah. You know, but after a certain point, it was like, I went to Vegas for, um, my buddy's 40th birthday and it was basically four or five guys out there. Like they make movies about it. Right. So, and I didn't drink. This was a couple months ago. It was back in November and I somehow did Vegas completely sober and it was fine. So, but I've been there like so many times that it was like, I've done this. If it was like my first one to, f- one to five times, maybe it would have been different, but. And would you have been like, would, did you enjoy it? Would you say a lot more than, you know, the previous times that you've been there? I didn't enjoy it more. No. I mean, I just, like I you, enjoyed it differently. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so you know, moving on from that, from, <laughs> from overdosing <laughs> on caffeine, how do you transition from that? Um, so we talked on the, the, uh, the MOG episode. Sure. I think we briefly touched on it that we both have something in common in that we went to college and we studied journalism. Yes, we did. And I wanted to ask you because you're you're an author as well. Yeah, you know, I'd mentioned in the intro you're a writer. You know, one of the many hands that you have your your things yeah, your man, things that you have your hands in. Tell me about um, children of the program and t- like just tell me like what sparked what sparked. I've been using that a lot tonight. I think what sparked like what was- like what what influenced you to get into writing a book because I guess. Like, would you say the journalism degree kind of helped Somewhat. move you into that direction? I wanted to, I wanted to write and I, I loved writing. I was doing a blog before that. And I don't know, it was just kind of like, I wanted to kind of tell my story. And when they, when you're going to write a book, they always say, write what you know. Right. And so I knew myself. So obviously, <laughs> so I kind <laughs> Or maybe I, I would, don't. I maybe, would hope you know yourself. Maybe I, maybe I found myself. I, I don't know. But like the whole idea kind of started with like this autobiographical kind of like um, thread and then like uh, this other thread that was like kind of this fictional story. And they kind of like they're weaving and weaving and weaving until they finally become one fictional thread. But there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in the first book. And I also tied in like all, all the song and album themes. So you'll be going through and the, there'll be a chapter called God, God Complex. And you'll be like, oh, that's on Join the Cult, you know, or whatever. So it was a way to really just tie up like all these these ideas and that were on all these albums and put them all in one place and put like a story to it. And on top of, you know, writing and all that stuff, I really wanted to talk to you about this. Like, this is like one thing I've wanted to talk to you about forever. Okay. And um, I I don't know why we didn't get to it on the MOG when I came on, but one thing I have always loved and respected about you. Because I was interviewing you. you. I mean, we we could have talked a lot about a lot of things We could have. We could have. But one thing I've always loved and respected about you is your song titles. Like, the... 
when I look at, you know, We Love the Underground, Come Destroyer, um, The Isolationist, or uh, Postcards to Tokyo, or oh, Postcards yeah. from Tokyo, of, I think it's, I think that's a skip, schizo it song. It is. It's a schizo um, I've always just, like, I've always thought, like, where does he get the inspiration to think of, you know, like, these lyrics, first of all, and then just the titles? Because it seems like... You know, you pull like what you were just explaining from you pull you pull from a very creative place. And I just wanted to know, like, where does all of that come from? Like, where does that inspiration come from for you? I've never had writer's block. Um, It's always just flown out. And I think that over the years of writing, it's just compounded. So a, a lot of times song titles are really just a creative way of saying something relatively common. Right. So like a Vietnam in the neighborhood could just be like an affair that happened within the neighborhood that like caused World War right. whatever to, to break out. So or kids in the park could be about just kids playing in the park. It could be. That was that one was a little bit more pointed. But, um, yeah, it's, it's always having that tab open. And I, I don't know, like I feel like we're all antennas. And so sometimes like you're pulling from a certain source like mouthful of graffiti was like one of those things where the, the songs were coming out almost daily and they all had this vibe and this theme of what was going on in my life at the time. And it was kind of a confluence of everything that had happened up to that point. And I think that like, sometimes it kind of like bottlenecks and it's like, when that happens, when you're writing a record, it, it I mean, creativity, all of it, the words, it just comes out. And um, I think, one of the things that may jam people up is when they're looking for those titles or they're trying to make uh, an album or a song that sounds like something that they've heard. If you're trying to do that, you're never going to enter that creative space. It's yours. So like I have my own like little like toolbox of words and vibes and, and energies and whatever, and they're unique to me. Um, but if you're not coming from that place, you're not coming from a place of like just honest, artistic songwriting, I don't know that that tab opens as, as readily. And I think like Steven Tyler once said, use it or lose it. I've never stopped doing it since I was uh, in, in 10th grade, since those first cassettes that we don't speak of, Alien Fetus. <laughs> um, so even like back there, Alien Fetus. So uh, that, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting title in but itself. But it's not really though, because I was recording at the time at the 12th Planet Recording Studio. Right. And the 12th Planet Recording Studio... No, I'm sorry. It was the Time Machine Starship, and but he he ended up renaming it the Twelfth Planet Recording Studio. But I felt like I was just like this little alien fetus in his little his little world. So because I was this young kid just trying to figure out what I was doing, and he was helping to mold me and this this kind of thing. So that's where it comes from. It's just it's keeping like the faucet on, keeping so. the faucet. I like that. Just yeah. keeping the faucet. Just keep the faucet on. Because on. I mean, I when I let me give you an example. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, go, for, go the, for it. The isolation is I was literally at a point in my life where schizo was starting to fall apart. I was kind of getting used to that, like, idea of maybe just kind of like Homer Simpson back into the brush yeah. kind of thing. And being okay with that and kind of coming to terms with it. And then we ended up writing a song called The Survivalist. Well, The Survivalist was basically furthering the theme of the isolationist. Like, uh then there became part three. That's why I'm getting a little confused, but there's the creationist. So it's, it's kind of like a three part move and it starts with the creationist, this person that's like hell bent on creativity and writing and following their dreams. This, this like middle period where you're just doing everything you can do to hold on to that. 
And then followed by what ended up being the, the third part, the isolationist, like, I'm okay if I just just disappear at this point. I've done what I've done. I have nothing left to prove. So I always love yeah. when those artists, you know, kind of like tie in or they have different parts or they tie in different songs to one another because the Vibesman did that on Endless. We The last two songs that we put on that album were the endless, the title track, Endless, and we had it ble- like the like the way that I had envisioned it was we would put we would put that song second to last and then we would let it fade into um this last song called Dorm Room Serenade which is like the song Endless is about I wrote it about kind of having a moment that you don't want to get out of you know what I mean like you want to hold on to it like a picture almost you want to hold on to it and you don't want to let that go and then Dorm Room Serenade kind of transitioning into that being you know that moment you know what I mean? Like kind yeah. of like a real yeah, yeah. example of that moment. And that was when we were getting into sample, like we'd put like samples and stuff into our songs. So I put a clip in the beginning of endless. I put a clip from, I think it's a It's a Robin Williams and Robert De Niro movie. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a clip of Robert De Niro kind of like, talking about like enjoying life, which I mean, I think I wanted to portray in that song. And then that like in the transition to dorm room, we put a clip from Goodwill hunting Okay, in there about Robin Williams telling Matt Damon, you know, about like, you'll never feel truly happy. It was the scene where they're in the park on the bench and he's kind of giving Matt Damon the advice about women and stuff like that, which I thought really, really symbolized like that transition that we were going for kind of like, you know, like having that moment where you're happy and you never want to let that go. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to accept like, you know, there's things that make you happy and there's some things that don't make you happy. And it's good to like hold on to both because you can use both to make yourself either a better person or you can make somebody else better. You know what I mean? You have to be careful when you enter that zone where it's like the thing that you love, whether it's music, it could be music and it it could fade for a while. Um, When that thing, whether it's music, writing books, podcasting, when that thing starts taking more energy than it's giving, and you know when it's happening, you feel that. Like, have you ever been into like a, a band situation where like it's taking more energy to hold the band together than it's actually worth at yeah. a point? And yeah. you just have to make sure that you get to that point and recognize it and say, okay, it's over or this is over. And then because as soon as you flip the switch and find something else, it's like the fire inside the oven, like gets kicked back yeah, up again. So. Exactly. I've definitely, I've, and I have felt that before 100%. And I've, I've seen people feel that before. And I'm, I've had conversations with people about that exam, that exact same thought. Yeah. And I mean, it's not an easy conversation to have because you want to see people you like, you know, succeed. But at the same time, like if you see something holding somebody down, like you have to tell them like, look, like you don't look like you're having fun in this. Like you look like you need like a change of pace. You know what I mean? Right. So that was an interesting little time for the Vibesman anyway, was getting, you know, those samples in there and writing those songs. Like I, I still think like that little, like, I guess it's like 10 minutes, 10 minute block of an album is probably like one of my favorites that I've ever been a part of. Cause I still get goosebumps when I listen to it, which Dude, some of that is music crazy. Was great. I, I remember listening to it before the podcast we did together right. and it was just, it was so good. It was, it had so much genuine energy. It was, I loved it. It was such a fun time recording that too, because I was just graduating 
or maybe yeah, I was I just graduated from Anne Arundel, and I had like a gap semester between going to, from Arundel to Maryland. So that whole semester was every every day in the studio, just kind of like learning the ins and outs of recording an album, like because it was technically our first time like recording with real people, I guess, because our first album was or our first EP whatever you want to describe it as was recorded in a basement, kind of like this, mm-hmm. kind of like where we're at now. And then the second album was recorded in a basement, but it was with people who knew how their, how their space worked. Right. Which was a, like, which was an, an you know, an interesting process to get to, you know, dive into and then spend probably the better part of a year, you know, kind of working toward and then, you know, you move up from there to actual studios and then you go back to the basement, to the studio. Right. And it's like the journey of a recording artist is very, very interesting. It There's is. a lot of twists and turns when you're going through it because you ne- you could never know, like, you know, like people could make hit records in their living room or the, in their bedroom. And you just wouldn't know. It Was, wouldn't wasn't the like weekend? That. Wasn't that record? Didn't he do that like in his bedroom? I or think Billy Eilish did hers. Her and her brother recorded theirs in like a, a a bedroom, I believe. And it's it's crazy that you know the technology too can you like it, you can make it sound like you recorded it in like like RCA studios or something like that. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, things have definitely changed. It's, I mean, if you look over there, uh, off to your left, that Fostex reel to reel is what I started recording on right there. So you see the, the record player in the middle Yeah, yeah. on yeah. the left-hand side mm-hmm. of that is yeah, that's the, first. that's what you started out on. Yeah. Fostex eight track reel to reel. Now that's, now that's history. Right that's there. when you're like, like literally you're, you're, you got like four hands on the board trying to do the mix yeah. because this has to pan over here. This has to come down here. This has to go up here and. It's a mess. Cause I remember when my dad, cause my dad's a drummer as well. So I would go in and see him record and he would go to a, I guess a real studio where they would have a huge board. That's way bigger than where I'm like stretching my arms out yeah. right now. And I'd see the guy behind the board working it. And I would just be so, I would, I would just look at it. Like how, like, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a, it's something that like when you dive into it, you know, you never know where it's going to take you. You know what I mean? Like you, right. like you could just become so enveloped in learning how to record something so well that you may never even get there. You yeah. Know what I mean, like yeah. you're just, you're just in it for the journey to know all of the ins and outs, but you don't know like where you're going to stop. You know what I mean? Do you ever like find yourself recording a song in that, in that manner where it's like, you just keep playing with it and playing with it and playing with it. And it's never done to you. We used to call that water eyeing. Um, water eyeing. Yeah, because there was this guy at the 12th Planet Recording Studio uh, that we talked about. But anyway, he had this painting. It was this big blue head. It was called Mr. Water Eye. Okay. And he worked on it day and night. And every time we would go to the studio, it would look to us exactly the same. But be to like, him, it would be different. Totally different. And we'd be like, dude, it's exactly the same. You know, we wouldn't actually tell him that. We would just say that to ourselves. But yeah. so we we called that whole like process of like water over fine tuning shit. Um, you know, water eyeing. I've definitely, I've definitely, I mean, I've never been, I've never had a situation where 
like somebody's painting something or it looks exactly like the yeah. same to us. But I've definitely overthought things before. I've like I've been recording stuff on my own too, and I would like when I record my covers, like especially. I would go through at least like 15, 20 takes of an easy song and I would listen back to it and I'd be like, oh no, like I I definitely like goof that right there. Or yeah, I would be like, I could definitely play that cleaner. So like I would just delete the whole thing and I would go all the way back to the beginning and start. And I'm like, if this is what I have to do to get the perfect take to me, the perfect take, then if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. Yeah. You know, but some of it's OCD. Yeah. Some of it is yeah. definitely OCD, but there's the intros that I do for the Mog. Sometimes they take me like two minutes. Sometimes they take me eight minutes because I like it just doesn't come out right. Yeah. So, but I mean, you know, that's the beauty of go like of OCD. I guess is you know it takes you like if you don't get it the first time, you know, you learn that re- like the repetition of just going through it, going through it. You know, like the more you do it, the easier it is for you to nail. You know yeah. what I mean? Like and. You know, some people like myself, like I could go through that repetition and I could still, you know, go through eight, 10 takes of the same thing. And I'd still like probably think it's shit, but right. You know, if it sounds good to me, it sounds good to me. Yeah. But, um, let's see. So I wanted to transition to one, th- another thing we talked about on the Mog was we, j- we touched on it just a little bit was, uh, horror movies. Okay. And I think we had, we had talked a little bit about the thing and we had talked, I can't remember what, I don't remember what brought it up, but we were talking about, uh, John Carpenter and the thing being Mm -hmm. one of our, I think one of our shared favorite horror movies. It's a good movie. Yeah. And I like, I haven't seen the new scream, but I've heard it's really good. Is it good? I've heard that it's it's pretty good. And I've heard that they have already got a sequel green lighted, which I don't know. How to feel about it because I've heard from people who. So it's not a it. reboot though. It's really number five. I guess it's technically number five, but I think they're rebooting it in the same way that. Um, like Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing, or. I'm trying to think of this well, the that series that yeah. the series that did it. So the way that I I was described, the plot of it was there's <laughs> this completely new cast of people. Yeah. And then, you know, Gail, Sydney, and Dewey all come back for like parts of the movie, but they're not like the main characters of the movie. Like they come back, like, you know, they're essential to the story, but they're not like the main focus of this movie. Okay. So I think it's like they are going to carry on with these characters, but they're going to, you know, drop in like Sydney or Gail or, you know, whoever in the later movies and kind of have that be like, a callback to the previous movies and then just carry on this new story. I can't remember what TV show or movie series has done that recently, but I know that that's starting to gain a little bit of like traction. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was Spider-Man that did that because they brought back, you know, spoiler alert, they brought back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Okay. And then all of the, Old villains from those movies, um, Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, like all of those guys, like they had called all of that back to, I, like, I, I consider it like a thing of nostalgia almost for those people who grew up with those characters and they grew up with those movies 
it's like a little, it's like hinting at a bit of nostalgia Okay, for you to just go see the movie and nerd out like, oh my God, oh my God, he's actually in this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's one of those things where you obviously knew that they were going to be in the movie, but just the shock factor of seeing them and you know, like the big music yeah, yeah. comes on and stuff, you know, like that's, that was an experience for sure, especially with the people like clapping in the movies and stuff yeah. like which I'm I, are you a fan of that are you a fan of like people clapping in the movie theaters cuz I, I don't mind that I, I do mind people talking, talking if it's excessive I don't mind like a little chatter but you know I mean I think I'd I've been to like the last few movie, movies I've been to I haven't heard much chatter from Good. anybody I think everybody's kind of like so involved in like the movie that they're watching yeah. that they don't really talk about anything but it's like the clapping for me like i don't know what it is it's just like i just want to like i just want to yell like shut up man like this is like this is the best part of the movie like why are you clapping like because it's, can't you, it's like, the best part of the movie well i mean i think everybody like <laughs> it is like it's it's cool that people like getting like that into it but at the same time it's like for people who are just kind of like there to enjoy the cinematic experience of the movie it can be it can be a bit annoying i yeah, think I, I could see that like if, if people were clapping when they opened the ark of the covenant and raiders of the lost ark and when uh the angel turns into the like the god of wrath if they started clapping yeah. during that I, i'd probably get up and leave the theater i'd be so yeah. angry you know so I guess I can see that. Yeah. But that was another thing I wanted to talk to you about. So you had posted on Facebook, I believe it was three movies oh, yeah. that you, I I think it was that you couldn't live without, or you couldn't, you know, like never, you never tired you ne of kind you of never thing. Get, yeah. You never get tired of watching. And that was uh happy Gilmore Raiders <laughs> of the lost Ark and the breakfast club. I don't think happy Gilmore was in the top three. I, I know that Raiders of the lost Ark and Bre breakfast club were, if you look behind you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a, is a near flawless movie. It's it is one of the best movies of all time. I don't. It, I, it is like it's pro, it's my favorite Indiana Jones movie for sure. It's the only one that, for whatever reason, even though it's not, it seems like earthy and possible. You know, I don't know why. The other ones just seem like uh, parodies of that movie. You know, you don't think anybody could go find the Holy Grail. I mean, like that. That, well, one, that one's the second best one. The, the uh, Temple of Doom, I try to know people love that, but I, I personally don't like that. I and thought the Temple of Doom was okay. Like, I think like my order would probably go Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, and then the fourth okay, one. So we agree on that. Um, the fourth one is weird. It was really weird. It's like Very ancient weird. aliens help make yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? And it was so over the top. Like the 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 ant hills that were eating people. Like what what is this? And then the beginning where he's like in like all of a sudden in the fallout show, like the I guess like the fallout thing where he's hiding in the yes. fridge and the you know the ant like the CGI gopher or mole or whatever it is. I remember that being a hot topic of discussion. Like I guess like a few years ago. Like I don't know what brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was just shitting on this CGI like mole. It's like, why couldn't you just find a real animal or something like? See, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a, it wasn't a real animal. That like that's uh, that's what I've seen. Like uh, like uh, that was one thing that everybody was ripping on was this the like the over usage of the CGI in that movie, especially. It is bad. Yes. Um, like when uh, when they're swinging with the monkeys and stuff in the jungle, it's yes. like I like I could see that like too much, but like. 
I didn't know about that, like the animal in the beginning either. I was like, really? Like that was CGI? I was like, that was so real. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, it's pretty sad that that was CGI yeah. like, of all things. But the Breakfast Club, like when I saw that list, I was like, the Breakfast Club was a very interesting, you know, because it was very different than Raiders of the Lost Ark and Happy Gilmore. And I want to like, because you, I have, I saw two posters. Well, That's Lisa and I. Um, is it? Molly and, Yeah. So would you like, like what about that movie makes it, you know, something that you're never tired of besides, you know, you and Lisa being two, like seemingly two characters in that movie. I just think it's, it's the most honest portrayal of high school and that awkward phase of growing up where you don't know who you are and you're kind of like whatever you're the product of your environment. You haven't really developed into you yet. Right. You know, so like Bender, he comes from that, like that hard family. The father's an alcoholic, gives him cigarettes for his, his, his birthday. And it's like, okay, so that's why he's like that. Andrew, the nerd is like that because it's, he's got like the perfect nuclear family. He hasn't become Andrew yet. None of them become themselves until they're they're isolated with each other in that one scene where they all smoke right. pot together. And then they realize in that moment that everybody's exactly the same. Is they just have like a different kind of like, I don't know, home life, really. That's kind of uh, a projection that people are seeing through their, their clothes and attitudes. So I don't know. I just think it's a really cool concept and movie. Uh, in general. And I always identified with Bender. That's kind of how I was. That's like, Actually, that's like your attitude. It was my attitude, but it was also kind of the way I dress and acted. And, um, but, but I've had people on the show, I've had two people and I feel kind of terrible about it, but they're like, yeah, man. So you, you weren't really that nice to me in high school kind of thing. You know, I'm like, well, you know, that was like 27 years ago. Yeah. It's like people ago. change in that time right. span too. It's like, I don't know. I see people that were weird to me in high school and like, I couldn't be any like more civil with them. So it's, I guess it's just like, you know, time heals all wounds. I was like, basically he was my attitude, but I looked like the kid from Terminator two. That's who I look like. Edward Furlong. Yeah. You know, that's, that's they do kind of look similar. Like when you kind of like look <laughs> at them side by side, like they do kind of look you know, a little similar to each other. Just, just a little just shit a little of a bit. kid. But, um, I think going back to the horror movie topic, yes. what would you say in the vein of that, you know, three movies that you're never tired of, what would you say are three horror movies that you're never, that you can never get tired of watching? Okay. Um, Poltergeist for sure. The original. The original. Oh, okay. That's another a, near flawless one. movie. Uh, I recently saw The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's a good one too. Where it's like partly a court documentary or court docu kind of thing. Well, it is a documentary in a sense, because it's based on a true story, true events. Um, and creep show isn't, it's kind of borderline. The OG creep show. The original, George Romero creep yeah, show. Yeah. You know, Father's that's a, Day. That's a really good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. I watched that the other day and I was like, I forgot, you know, like who was in that movie and like the, like, I guess the, I guess the skits or whatever you want to call them, like mm -hmm. the Father's Day. Skit was really good. The I uh, want my cake. Yeah. yeah and the, so um, I think it's the, with uh, Adrian Barbo, the, with the, the ape. I think that was in the first one. Um, how, I think it's Hal Holbrook feeds his wife to the ape. Yes. Yes. Well, it's um, the Tasmanian devil. Ta yeah. The Tasmanian devil. Yeah. And then uh, Leslie. Leslie Nielsen with the, the right? beach with the, with the beach. That was probably my favorite one out of all of them was that one. Yeah, that was cool because that one you could really see somebody doing it or going. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. That was hor- horrific for that reason. It was and very then, plausible. And then like the suspense is just building when he's in the house by himself and you don't like it's just flashing all of these empty rooms and then all of a sudden they just burst through the door and they're like, you know, these sea creatures and you hear like the water gurgling. I was like, oh my God, like everything about this movie is so like, yes. it hit everything on the head with everything like so well. But I'm, it's either between that one or the very last one with the cockroaches oh, in, yeah. in the room. Ugh. That one, I like every time I see that one, that one reminds me of myself. Like it kind of reminds me of myself. Like I'm not like, <laughs> I, it's not that I don't like bugs. It kind of reminds me of how I've been with COVID where right. it's like, you know, like you're just super like, like you just you just don't want to be bothered. Like you're in a room, and the bugs kind of represent like disease almost. Where right. you just like, you know, like you touch something, and you're like, like you're spraying sanitizer on your hand. Which I've actually been through the last like few weeks because everybody in my house has gotten COVID. So it's like I'm I'm spraying sanitizer on my hands every time I touch something, and then it's more or less just like. You know, you're like you're calling people like or whatever his assistant's name is. And like he's calling people to the door and like he's like he's got his own little system in his house and he's got his own like generator. And it's just like it kind of reminds me of like being a like <laughs> in like in COVID like yeah. isolation almost, which is like I watched that and I put two and two together. And I was like, am I going crazy or am I just like really over analyzing this movie? I don't know. I mean, you could actually uh, analyze the meteor shit uh, episode as well, where he mm-hmm. touches the meteor. He just touches it. And then like all, all of a sudden his body's like being taken over. And it's great that almost all of those are written by Stephen King, too. And he was in, he was, you know, I, guess, I think his name was Jody in that scene. I think his name was Jody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you his name long- was Jody. You lunkhead. Yeah. <laughs> but that like, I, I love that all, almost all of those were written like short stories yeah. by Stephen King. He also, I think he had a hand in Cat's Eye too, which is more. Yeah, I think that was one of his stories too. It, it amazes me how many of his movies or how many of his stories have turned into movies. All of them. Yeah. And there's so many movie adaptations. I would probably argue are better than reading the book but the book and the movies are two totally different things whenever you read a book it's very seldom and very rare that somebody actually gets it right Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but with the like with the shining for example like i know that he wrote the shining but he said like stanley kubrick was like such a hard person to work with because he didn't want to follow a lot or he changed a lot of what was in the book like the source material and he made it kind of like a conglomeration of like his own vision with st- some of Stephen King's stuff. And it turned into the movie that it was. It's a and great movie, though. It's still a, it's probably and it's in my top three of you know, horror movies. Yeah. I get tired of. But then the I think the miniseries, the TV miniseries came out and Stephen King was like, perfect. It's perfect. Like he could like it was like it couldn't have been any closer to his books. And when I saw that, I was like. I still like the movie way better, but mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the TV series was like, or the TV movie, whatever you want to call it was like, it was way closer to the book. And I was like, Oh, like that wasn't in the movie. That wasn't in the movie. I remember reading that in the book, but that yeah, wasn't yeah. in the movie. So it's like, I think for me, it's probably the shining, the thing, 
Um, and probably the first Halloween movie, John okay. Carpenter's Halloween. I, I was a, a Nightmare on Elm Street guy, um, but I love the remake that they did of th- that reboot, Nightmare on Elm the Street. The Nightmare reboot. on Elm Street yeah. reboot. I think you're one of the only people I've ever met that actually likes the reboot. Really? The one, so the one from with um, Jackie Earl Haley as – or the one that they, they recently put out like 2008, 2009. Yes, yes. You're one of the only people I've met who have liked that. I loved it. I like, I went to go see it in theaters and I think I was, I bitched out because I was so, I was at the time I was like, so against going to see horror movies in theaters. I was like, Oh, I'll just wait to like see it when it comes out on like DVD. I mean, so I can put a pillow in front of my face. The first one's great. Um, until like the end. And then it's like the rules that make Freddy kind of come to life, start getting bent so much. It's like, why nobody's sleeping right now? Why, why is Freddy popping up out of nowhere? It was like daylight. Freddy's kind of dead, but he's still kind of like popping up in reality. He wasn't even in the dream world. Yeah. There were things about it that was like, this pisses me off, but yeah. But I think that's, that series as a whole, I watched, there's a series on Netflix. I think it's called uh movies that made us. And they did a whole um, series on like Halloween themed movies. They did one on Halloween. They did one on nightmare on Elm street. Uh, Robocop <coughs> was another one. So it was, it's, and they, sh- hmm. they kind of showed you like how those came to be. And it was very interesting that like on, with Nightmare on Elm Street, especially like they took, or Wes Craven heard the story yeah. of, I think it was a real life story of somebody like dying in their sleep. And I can't remember the exact specifics of the story, but there was a, uh, like there was a screenplay written by somebody and then it got picked up and it kind of got altered to what it was. And I just thought that was very interesting. And same thing with scream. I heard that the other day too, that the original scream was based off of like real murder cases in Hmm. Florida, I believe. One of my favorite movies of all time, since we're talking about them and one of them involves Matthew Lillard. If you've never seen the curve, the curve, I think it was originally called dead man's curve, but now it goes by the curve. curve. Uh, It is my wife and I's favorite favorite movie of all times so really because we we had very few uh movies like when we were kids and had our first apartment and all that so we watched it all the time but the lighthouse is up in northeast okay so the lighthouse from that movie is right there so you can actually watch the movie and then go to the lighthouse and go to the lighthouse yeah but it's a really cool movie northeast as in like maryland or like yeah northeast, northeast. oh yeah so okay. it's close we were well we were watching it one night and it occurred to us because they they shot part of it at Towson University, I believe, or oh, one of the really? one of the colleges down downtown. Yeah, um, they shot uh, sh- scenes in Fells Point. So we're like, well, where was the lighthouse then? So we started like researching it, and we we realized it was up in uh, Northeast. Well, that's like uh, House of Cards was filming stuff, you know, in Baltimore and DC. I didn't know that until I started watching the show. I was like, where have I seen that? I was like. Is that in Baltimore? I was like, that looks really familiar. Yeah. And it's like the same thing with The Wire, too. Like, they filmed that, almost that whole show in Baltimore, or, like, most of it in Baltimore, which I thought was, like, like, hey, like, represent, but at the same time, it's yeah. like, oh, my God, like, look look at that. So, would you look at that? Yeah, yeah would you look at that? <laughs> so, moving to, tr- moving to TV shows, oh. I want to get to this, because okay. we both were like a little gushy about it before we started recording and that's Ozark. Yeah, man. 
that's one of my favorite shows that I've watched in re- like, cause I binged it, I think over the course of four or five days when COVID first hit, I think it was when season three had just dropped. And I, I had friends tell me like, you have to watch this. You have to watch this. So I'm like, all right. I like, I'm a fan of Jason Bateman. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna give this a shot. And I was hooked. Like first night watching it, I was like, I'm hooked. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm the new season, the new season, or they divided the fourth season, the final season into two parts. You know why they did that, right? I th- I'm going to say that it's to build suspense, like to, to hype it, I guess. No, they wanted to fall within two Emmy seasons so that they could get oh. more, more Emmys for it. So, okay. Yep. Now that, oh, that makes perfect so sense. So it won't, now. it will not come out until like next year, May or June after these Emmys that then the oh. so nobody knows when it's coming out, but it'll happen after the. I was gonna say I've been scouring and, the internet oh, to see. Is. I've been scouring the internet to see when part two would possibly come out. I have found nothing. Like yeah. they're keeping that release date airtight. Yep. But I like I don't want to spoil season four part one for anybody. No. But oh my god, it is so good. If you have not watched it, anybody listening that has not watched it yet, get on it. Like yeah. I'm, beating this table i think it's something that everybody agrees with if you go to rotten tomatoes like the critics and the fans agree it's excellent the only people that don't seem to like season four part one are people that are part of like the ozark fan groups you know the people that like everybody has to have an opinion it's yeah. kind of the, the problem with the internet in general you got seven billion people out there having opinions every moment of every day but it's like yeah it's it's fantastic the whole the whole series is even if it stopped right now it would still be one of my favorite series yeah and i mean is there anything else that you've been watching recently that's like re- like you want to tell these listeners about um there's a couple series that are kind of a little bit more off the grid although the first one, not so much, but Money Heist is fantastic. I've heard that's really good, too. I Dude, haven't watched that yet. Holy hell. That one ends incredibly, and it's just as addicting as Ozark. So definitely, if you haven't, just just sit down, watch two or three episodes, and you're not leaving your couch for the next two or three days. Okay. Um, and we started getting into kind of like some of the foreign ones, like Elite. It was pretty cool. Mm, I've never heard of it. Yeah, you wouldn't know unless you actually looked for it. Um, what's that... Uh, the one with the girl that's blind. Um, I think it's In the Dark with Murphy, but that's a great one too. Okay. Yeah, it was an old CW series, but um, in the I don't, dark. Yeah, In the Dark. So I don't know. I've been going back on like, because when I was younger, I did, my parents didn't have like HBO or Stars or anything. So I've been going back and watching. I rewatched The Sopranos, still one of the best, I think one of the best series of all time. The Wire. Oh, yeah. Um, I watched, it actually just came out yesterday, the Pam and Tommy series on Hulu. (laughs) That is, I think they couldn't have nailed that casting for Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson any better. So the whole thing is about how the sex tape got out, right? So Seth Rogen is the mechanic, I guess he's like the carpenter, because the way that they tell it is, they tell it from almost like his perspective and then what's going on with Tommy and Pamela during that same See, I always time. thought that they they did it to themselves. Well, they've only put out 3 episodes and I think where they stopped it is where the sex tape actually gets sold. Like it's not it hasn't been published yet, but they just sold it. So this is when so the first episode is basically how the tape is acquired. 
by Rand Guthier. I think is Guthier, Guthier, mm-hmm. who's Seth Rogen's character. And then the second episode kind of gives you insight onto how Tommy and Pam met. And then after four days of meeting each other, they got married. And that was that was it. And then third episode is basically Seth Rogen's character, the carpenter, and the um, head of a porno studio going around and shopping this tape until they basically come to the realization that the internet is the big thing right now. And whereas it's contra- it's like contrasting to around that time, like VHS was popular. So at first they wanted to put it on VHS, strictly VHS. Yeah. But then Seth Rogen was like, no, like the internet is where it is at right now. Right. And then there's nobody to really hold accountable. And like, that's what they were telling uh, the guy they sold it to. They're like, you know, if we put this out on the internet, like it won't come back to you. It won't come back to us. It'll just be there. Like whoever wants it, it's right there for you to see. If you just type in like Pam Anderson. You know, I've never seen it. Have you seen it? No, I've never seen it. I've heard that it's very, it's, I've heard it's all out there though. I'm sure it is. But I mean, the way that they describe it in the show is it sounds just as crazy as it is in real life. Like, I think the way that they, cause it's like, I guess they filmed like not the tape itself, but scenes from the tape, like almost like scene for scene, like they're on a boat and like, they're doing all this shit. And it's like, I guess they, like a lot of it is like, they. Uh, well, here's a question. Right. Who, who was filming it? I think they were like, okay. they were just handing off the camera from what, from what I saw and what I understood from it is they were just, it was just the two of them and they were just handing the camera back and forth. It seems to me, I mean, I don't know, but it does seem to me like a hell of a marketing thing to, to do. Well, he, it's, he, it's, yeah, it seems like they cha- like it's a marketing thing, but at the same time, like you know, they they kind of like changed like pop culture and all of that stuff by having it put out, even though they didn't have anything to do with it except for. Do they still it. do they stick to that story? I'm I'm gonna guess that they do because okay. I don't think either one of them have a hand in this. Okay, because I had a friend, um, Austin, who's the drummer in Utsi. I texted him because he's a big fan of Tommy. I'm like, dude, you got to watch this. Like, okay. I know that you will love this. And he's like, I'm surprised that M- like Machine Gun Kelly isn't in it because he was really good as Tommy Lee. Yeah, there. he was. He did a good job. And I was like, well, if you watch this and you see the guy that they got for this, like he looks almost like for the time period, like which is I think the late 90s. Yeah. It looks almost exactly like how Tommy Lee looked in the 90s. And that's exactly how it was with Pam Anderson. So I was like. They couldn't have like gotten that casting and the makeup and all that stuff like down to a T. Like it, it's almost like very uncanny how similar. But it's good and it's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay. I like it. It's very like because I was very young, or I don't even think I was born around the time that any of that was happening. So it was very you know because I've heard about it. Like everything that I've watched relating to either one of them that comes up. So it's like. It's cool to watch, you know, from kind of like a TV documentary kind of fashion about how all of that happened. And apparently, too, they based they based the story and the events off of a Rolling Stone article written about the sex tape. Hmm. 
So I was like, okay, like that kind of makes it a little bit more credible for me to watch. Yeah. In the sense that there was an actual story written about it and that they're using, you know, details from that in it. So it drops every Wednesday. I like it. And if you're a fan of music and pop culture, I think it's definitely something you have to check out. Yeah. I I will definitely check that out. You're the second person today that told me to check it out. So I'll check it out. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've been flip-flopping back and forth. Like there's a lot of stuff I have to watch. I have a lot of friends tell me like I have to watch Euphoria on HBO, which I've heard is really good. Dark's a good one. I forgot about Dark. Dark? Yeah. I have to watch that. I have to watch uh, Power, which is a show on, I think, Stars or Showtime, which is really good. It's a 50 Cent produced show. Um, I think, what else? Um, there's, there's just a lot of stuff I have to catch up on because I just... And I also have a habit of going back and watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for the 20th <laughs> the time. Best. I, that's my favorite show of all yeah, time. Man. I love that show. It's a great one. But I always tend to go back and forth on that. And I tell people to, to watch it and they end up hating me because they're like the stupidest show ever. But I'm like, you have to, like, it gets so good if you just understand that it's satire and like just how stupid and I guess terrible these people are. It just makes you laugh. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Like, there's a lot of stuff I have to watch and catch up on, even with movies. Like, I feel like I'm behind on everything. Yeah. Um, there is one more thing before we close okay. out here, and I want to get some plugs for you. Um, you have sponsors on your podcast, and a lot of them are, I'd say, like, very, like, local, local-oriented, and they're also, like, a lot of, like, foodie or... Uh, restaurant type spots. So what would you like for somebody listening who's either new to the area or somebody who lives around here, but they're not very familiar with the area, where would you recommend that they go? Like, where would you recommend they check out? Well, I mean, Vagabond Sandwich Company, they're not just a sponsor. They are one of the best sandwich joints in, in town. They might be the best sandwich joint in town. So if somebody just came to Bel Air, Maryland, I would say, Go there, get yourself, you know, the Nashville mother clucker or whatever the hell it's called. That's That even sounds good in itself. I don't think it's called that. I think that's what I call it. But I, I think you should call it the mother clucker. Um, and then there's we have so many great breweries. I wanted a brewery. I wanted sponsors that had some type of a tie-in with the arts or entertainment. Like we have Red Records, uh, Black Eyed Susie's. Black Eyed Susie's, uh, they, they, they do a lot of um, local music nights, yeah. open mics, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Vagabond does too. They have concerts like in their parking lot. Capricose Books, a lot of people don't realize that the podcast also does authors. We do anything creative, really. It just happens that my pool is mainly music musicians because that's what i did mainly um uh there's the baltimore decal gal for people that are looking for like merch that kind of thing it was like trying to find things that like would mesh with music you know so um anyway if you're coming to town hit vagabond sandwich company go to double groove brewing um great local brewery uh there's also independent brewing you should just go there anyway because that's like the big one in town um but yeah did I cover it all? Vag- Vagabond Sandwich Co. Double Groove Brewing. Of so, course, if you're in town, you got to go to Musicland if you're a musician. Musicland, okay. And um, there was a bookstore too, correct? Capricos Books. Capricos Books. So if you heard any of that, my fellow listeners, have to go check those out. And with that, 
we're going to go ahead and put a cap on this episode. Brad, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, man. Um, tell the people uh, what you got coming up, where you're going to be at. Okay. Uh, music you got coming out, you know, whatever you've got your hands in right now, let them know. All right. So the first uh, announcement is Schizoclipso April 15th at uh, Zen West with Rapola Entertainment. Um, we are going to be recording some new music to kind of pepper the idea of coming out. Obviously, uh, on its face, it's, it's definitely geared towards getting a lot of the old heads, maybe some new heads out. But um, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, Veteran Avenue is putting out their the full length album on March third of twenty twenty two. It's gonna be seventeen tracks, and it's it's a powerhouse of different styles and and music. It's really cool. And other than that, there's gonna be more mogs. Um, I just started season two, so we'll see where that goes. Maybe get you back. Um, obviously, maybe. you and if, I. If I didn't annoy you, annoy you enough tonight, maybe. <laughs> no, no, this is this was awesome, man. Um, and um, that's the main things going on for me. So, cool. and then of course I've got my work life, which is all kinds of events we got coming up. So. And you could check out the Mog on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever you can find your podcasts. Essentially, Google correct? Podcasts, Google yeah. Podcasts, it's everywhere. Pandora, Mog is, the Mog is global, ladies and gents. It's almost got a trademark. So almost got a trademark. I'm not playing playing games anymore with that. Uh, yeah, after some stories you told yeah. me, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely not something you fuck around with. But it anymore. is it's it's expensive. So I haven't trademarked everything. But like, how often does that happen in one person's life? That's true. It took me like this many years for it to happen once for schizocalypso. That's just so weird. But it's over with now. You're not fucking around. I'm not fucking around with this episode because this episode is <laughs> heat. And it is heat. It, good, it is heat. And you need like you need fire sound track uh, sound effects throughout the entire thing. Just throw them in there. <laughs> I, I can't top the sound effects like uh, you can, like you'd have on the log, but I mean I'm gonna try my best. You can't t- top a have. horse and a chicken. I mean the horse, the chicken, the eagle, like everything, like it's just so perfect. Right. Like I I love it, Brad. I love you. Thank you for uh, coming on. You, this has been Jesse Johnson with Podcast Hangs. I will see y'all on the next episode. <laughs>